0: hey hello everybody I just um got done working out recently and although I've been planning to go live for about twenty minutes now, but I wanted to talk to you today real quick um for anyone who's interested about this book that I just finished the Blythedale Romance and I just lost a place I was going to read out loud to um and uh, the 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 thing I wanted to talk about is this new endeavor that I have which is the Troubadour uh, magazine and you know I'm getting some submissions and I think um, so I wanted to talk about submissions Uh, I have I'm I'm waiting for a couple more people to come on but if no one if no one else comes on that's cool I'm just going to go with it and um, if you have questions please let me know because I would love to talk about the the Blythdale romance which is a, a kind of a model of what I think is, you know, it doesn't have to be at that quality, but we'll we'll kind of talk about the uh, submission process and such. And um, yeah, so that, that's mainly what I want to talk about is the submission process for for the Truebitter magazine. I've gotten several submissions and, you know, uh, and I just really launched, I mean, I guess I really launched today, I guess, but I, I launched it a couple of days ago. So... <clears throat> One of the reasons that I, you know, like one of the big questions I think that's a legitimate question to ask is why the hell would anybody start another magazine? Right. Like there are literally hundreds of thousands of magazines. What's the point of another one? I, everyone knows the statistic. I think everyone knows the, the statistic that 70% of startup businesses fail. You probably don't know that pretty much 100% of magazines fail. Like, 90, you know, it's probably something like 99.9%. Like, there are very few, especially literary magazines. There are not that many, you know, ancient magazines that go back hundreds of years. I think The Strand may be, you know, but in name only. Like, it's not what it was, you know, 150 years ago or 100 years ago when it was publishing uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So there's a legitimate question of, you know, what's the purpose of a magazine? Why? Why a magazine? What am I trying to accomplish with a literary magazine? And again, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but one of the things that, as someone who's been writing fiction since I was a teenager, one of the difficulties and the issues that I've run across and that I think many people, if you write poetry or stories of any kind, or essays or whatever, is... um Finding the right home for your work. So I'm sure a lot of you have run into this situation where you go to a a magazine, an online magazine, a print magazine, a mixture of them. And I've I've done hundreds of them at this point. I've looked at them and you go to the magazine. You go to submission, you you scroll down, and you, you look, and it tells you, like, read this, make sure you—and, and, like, the advice is always to read the magazine and see what it's all about and see if your work fits, which is a lot of work as a writer. It's like, I'm going to read all these magazines to find out where I fit with these thousands of magazines. So it's it's a pain, and, you know, it's, it's a difficult process to just find one. But what I've found is I have never, in not even once, come close to finding any magazines that— um, unless they're pure popular fiction but even then I you know it's 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 enjoyable but it's not the kind of home that I have in mind but I've never read a magazine that that publishes and, sub, and does stuff today that is anything other than crap like it's just it's not good it's not enjoyable it doesn't make you think it doesn't do any of the things that I think great literature is supposed to do for you if it's especially you know the ones that call themselves literary magazines so it's it's like Okay, so I haven't seen one. If you have a literary magazine in mind, if you know one, please tell me. I'll fold up and just work with them, right? I'll just do that. I have never found one that I thought was was actually good that didn't just you know the that it didn't have an occasional good story. So that's one purpose. Um, you know, another one was that I am a big advocate of romanticism, and the elevation of craft which i think is one of the things missing in our culture and our literary culture today that the the people who talk you know talk in high literary fashion tend to be academic and they tend to use their own subjective emotional experience about what they're writing and elevate that at the, at its best. So they, if you read any of the stuff they do, it's usually very difficult or impossible to comprehend, but you're supposed to, you know, it's kind of like a modern art painting where you're just supposed to kind of clap your hands and think, oh, this is amazing. So, and again, if you find, if you know of one that's not like that consistently, not that it has an occasional story, but that's consistent with that, you know, with that kind of thing, then let me know. That has good, you know, objectively understandable, like anybody can, any intelligent person can pick it up and understand it. And I'm going to give you an example. That's why I chose, I just finished this book. I'm a huge Hawthorne fan. Um, You know, I've, I've read most of his major works and most of his short stories, especially, and he's a big inspiration for what I'm trying to accomplish. Another thing that I've noticed is there doesn't seem to be among writers today that I know of. Uh, and and talking to as many writers as I can over the past, I don't know, 18, 16 years, whatever, there doesn't seem to be a respect for understanding the craft of writing. And and I mean fiction writing, not, you know, how do you write a nonfiction essay and make it, you know, all the points add up, but how do you actually do art? (laughs) How do you create an artwork? And I really recommend reading, for instance, um, lyrical ballads by Wordsworth and Coler- Coleridge, which is the which is usually considered to be the spark of the Romantic movement. And I also recommend reading some of the essays by Edgar Allan Poe, and you could also read some like ha- letters between you know and, and essays that that Hawthorne did and and um, with uh, Melville and these guys are talking about uh, and all the and, and the same thing that you get with like Shelley and and the British English Romantics and. One of the things that I found very interesting in studying these guys is that they were conscious about craft. They thought about what is a you know uh, what is a rational verse? And one of Poe's essays is the rationale of verse and, and he's trying to make it very um, mathematical, very like in the same kind of principles and in using these very objective understanding to elicit a certain response. And so there's um, there's there's a tradition of that trying to be uh, trying to explicitly execute a theme. So we'll talk about again the example I'm going to give you in a second is the Blithedale Romance. Try to execute a theme, and every single sentence pair, everything adds up to that. Every th- every metaphor. You know, I've scanned through modern books, and I never see metaphor and analogies. And that's just like I don't understand. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a scholar, <laughs> so I don't understand what the hell happened in metaphors, analogies, and similes. Like, why is there like there are there is some imagistic language, but there's a role for the in how our minds work for metaphors, and why are there no metaphors or rarely? Why is it such a rare thing? It's like there's this term, purple prose, and it seems that the term purple prose is used as a catch-all for anything that seems a little bit high. And, you know, then it's like, oh, that's literary and that's academic. And then there's like this weird split. And I don't think there needs to be a split. I don't think it's entertainment or enlightened, you know, thoughtful prose and and verse. So Troubadour podcasts are, and the Troubadour magazine, what I'm trying to accomplish, one of the goals with the magazine particularly is a reemergence in a small, you know, I want to, build, let me put it this way. I want to build a small little community um, or, you know, how big it gets, whatever, but a community of writers. So I'm very interested in writers, you know, as somebody who's, who's tried to publish and, and worked at it for a long time, I want to be a part of building a platform that other writers can be proud of being a part of. And so I'm very dedicated to, if you send me a submission, I'm going to give you, I'm going to do my best. And I've already, you know, I just launched this thing and I already have like five submissions today and I'm going to do my best to get you some feedback. Now on verse, that's going to be very, on poetry, it's going to be very hard. Um, you know, I, we could, we could chat about it. I'm not like I, on the podcast, I talk about poetry all the time. I, I analyze it, but in terms of writing it out and giving feedback to a poet, that's, that's a little challenging for me, but I'll do my best. But with fiction especially, I've been you know, I got my degree in film production and we used to give feedback all the time on stories and scripts and things like that. And I've I've done it for years in in workshops and so on. So I definitely have experience. I hope you'll trust me a little bit with your magazine I uh or with your with your short story and uh with your work. And I'm also accepting essays. Uh I want the essays to be on critical, important topics of our day. But again, um, read Joseph Addison, read, like, I, I don't want another mid range. Um, you know, if you know what that term comes from an objective, like just another generic mid, like use the pen and the language and have some high level thoughts with the use of the language, like make it enjoyable to read the words as well as come up with the, the idea of the essay. And again, read Joseph Addison, use a little bit of analogy and metaphor. And, uh, you know, when you're writing, when you're writing essays, nonfiction too. So, okay, so that that's kind of the, there's a lot that I have to say about that. I'm working on. Um, you go to troubadourmag.com, and if you want, you could ask. You know, I'll talk about this in the future, like why I chose troubadour, why I love troubadour, and the the word and what that means or where it comes from. But um, you know, ask any questions you have in the future, and I'll, I'll get back to you. If you don't want to ask them right now. And again, go to TroubadourMag.com to learn more about the submission. We already have our first, you know, seven posts, and we have one featured poet who I interviewed earlier today, Jeremiah Cobra, and, you know, I'm excited to, you know, he kind of exemplifies a lot of what I'm talking about and, you know, why I'm trying to do this. I want to provide writers like him a platform um, that is worthy of someone who puts the time into structuring of the, this is just stream. It's not just stream of consciousness. It's not just, you know, whatever. Um, but it's still literary. So it's not just, you know, there's nothing wrong with pop, cult, or pop art. We could talk about that. But I think sometimes um, there's a missing of something a little bit more heightened. So let me give you an example in the Blythdale Romance. Now this is this is a book that everybody in modern America needs to read. I mean, everybody needs to read this book. For a variety of reasons. One, it's Hawthorne, so I think everybody should read everything Hawthorne wrote. But another thing is, <laughs> it's really interesting because the the Blythdale romance was inspired by Hawthorne's little stint, his stay in Brooks Farm, which was the inspiration for like Transcendentalism and Ralph uh, Waldo Emerson and all their, you know, Cabin of the Woods and all this stuff. And there's like this commune, this intellectual commune. And it's, um and, and hi, thank you all the people who are watching right now. Um, Alexandra, uh, Alexandra, Carmen, Ashley, Amy, Diane, Miranda. Thanks for joining. Anybody who joins in the future, please ask questions in the comments, and I promise I will answer them. So, anyway, the Blithedale Romance is about it. He wrote Hawthorne wrote this ten years after his stay at Brooks Farm, which was an intellectual commune. They they went out and they tilled the farm, and they tried to live on the their own means, and they tried to escape. Um, they try to escape from society, essentially, or you know, they they loathed society. They thought it was corrupt and materialistic and not good, basically. So anyway, the this romance that Hawthorne wrote is about like one of the big major themes of it is this one that he he writes and a lot of these guys write about it at the time is the interplay. Between fantasy and real life, between fiction and real life, and between, in particular, the ideal this this ideal of this intellectual commune, and the realities of the commune. But I, I wanted to give you um, a little passage. I want to read you a little passage about this to give you an idea of the kind of thing that I'm looking for in publishing. There, there's um, you know. So I'm not interested in genre. I I, I like sci-fi and fantasy and all those things and romances are all great. So any of those, anything that would fall into those categories are great. But what I'm really interested in is again, people who are really, really interested about, um, the, the, um, about elevating the craft, the language. And, you know, again, if you wanted to know why I, you know, what I think that means and what, what that entails, I have some thoughts on that. And this kind of post-workout, just random thoughts is, me working some of this out. So Kyle asked, "Could essays be about other political or philosophical issues, perhaps making commentary on popular works and critiquing those ideas?" Yeah, I mean, the essays. So again, my main criteria right now, as I'm launching this thing, is you know, and, and I'm using a very broad umbrella for Romanticism as an as a, a movement, and what Romanticism does. So, You know, uh, I'm going to be including some essays so you could see, you know, (laughs) uh, Poe wrote a very interesting essay called The Philosophy of Furniture. And, you know, again, there's Joseph Addison. I I think there's a place that for something other than the generic newspaper article. And that now that we have this new venue opened up to us. We can market to different people. So we have social media now. So I think we can market to, you know, I'd like to market to um, intellectual people who aren't sullied by academia. And, you know, um, we can get into what that means. But I, you know, like, neither of my parents went to college. I went to a liberal arts college and, and completely ignored any of the intellectual things and just read on my own. So I'm very interested in the kind of person who, Takes their own intellectual development seriously and um, wants to be become, you know, uh, wants to enjoy life, wants to learn things, is interested in those things that, you know, the kind of person that I see more and more today. I think there's a, um, an emergence of this kind of individual and I'm excited about that. So, Kyle, could essays be about political or philosophical issues? Absolutely. You could write, you know, at this moment, I don't have anything you can't write about uh, essays about. But what I am looking for again is read, uh, essays by Poe and Joseph Addison and guys that, you know, Joseph Addison wrote Cato, a tragedy, the, uh, a play, which George Washington play, put on during the revolution to inspire his men. And the essays that Joseph Addison had are brilliant essays. And, you know, you know, read Rights of Man and read like these kinds of high, like they're intellectual, they're not completely philosophy. So I'm not interested in pure philosophy. I don't know anything about philosophy. I mean, I studied a little bit, but it's not my expertise at all. So um, maybe one day someone, we can have a philosophy, you know, if it grows, we can have that, but I can't comment on that. But I am interested in uh, anything that uses language well to communicate a a theme, and they do it on purpose. So it's not something that... um, you know, just randomly coming to your mind. So in fiction, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. So this is a story about a um, Culverdale, Miles Culverdale, who is basically supposed to be Hawthorne, who goes to this commune, and there's this mysterious event that occurs that, you know, they we're trying to figure out who all these characters' backstories are, especially this a mysterious feminist named Zenobia, and this mysterious, very cute or beautiful, I would say, young girl, and they never say the age, but I assume Zenobia, I don't think they ever say her age, but I assume she's in her early 20s and Priscilla is in her teens. And, you know, so it's this very interesting male and female interrelationship as they're going through this. And then what is, you know, the relationship between... Zenobia and Priscilla and these mysterious men who keep popping up into this commune. And then you kind of I don't want to give away all the ending, but there's a lot that goes on in the story. Uh, and it's all very purposeful in terms of what he's trying to communicate in terms of his theme. The plot is is very important, the characterization. So let me give you an example. I'm gonna read you a passage. This is after Miles Coverdale um he starts off in his in society. There's a mysterious guy who says, I have to talk to you about something. Oh, never mind. And he goes away. I'll tell somebody else. <laughs> and so it's like right away, we're like, what, what's going on? What does he want to talk to his, uh, Miles about? Miles gets there. And the first thing that happens to Miles, who is this poet, he's this foppish, you know, kind of weak, uh, weak-bodied weak poet. He goes to this commune and he immediately gets deathly ill. And he's, he has to be taken care of by other by the other people and he's like i just want to give up forget it i want to go home i don't want to do this and they say no this is the whole point of the commune we'll take care of you so they take care of him he falls in love not not sexually but falls in love with the um uh the high-minded intellectual ins, ins, um person hollingsworth who is the kind of the founder of of this place who really takes care of him during his convalescence now, when he gets out of his sickness, when Coverdale starts getting convalescing, getting better, here's a passage. There's so many brilliant passages in this, but I was now on my legs again. My fit of illness had been an avenue between two existences, the low arched and darksome doorway through which I crept out of a life of old conventional- conventionalisms on my hands and knees as it were and gained admittance into the freer region that lay beyond. In this respect, it was like death. And as with death, too, it was good to have gone through it. No otherwise could I have rid myself of a thousand follies, fripperies, prejudices, habits, and other such worldly dust as inevitably settles upon the crowd along the broad highway giving them all one sordid aspect before noontime. However freshly they may have begun their pilgrimage in the dewy morning, the very substance upon my bones had not been fit to live with in any better, truer, or more energetic mode than that to which I was accustomed. So he goes on and talks a little bit more about that. That's really, um, really good. But I hope you notice a little bit about the language. No otherwise could I find rid myself of a thousand follies, fripperies, prejudices, habits, and other such worldly dust as inevitably settles upon the crowd. Here, here's the good thing along the broad highway, giving them all one sorted aspect before noontime. However, freshly they may have begun their pilgrimage in the dewy morning. Now, if you think about what that is kind of indicating, what that means. And he just got through this deathly illness. It's like a transportation, right? And, you know, just like he said, everyone should go through this death transportation. So it's like he leaves the old society. He joins the new and he has to die in order to do that. And he's done. So that's what Hawthorne is doing with executing his craft here is he is saying, I have this theme. What do I have my character do? Normally, what most people would do with this story is they would just you know, he kind of gets there, they, they talk about stuff, you know, maybe they they would till the the land, maybe some event would happen, but there wouldn't be a actual plot going on where events occur that um, play on the theme. So that kind of um, act that kind of thing is what I'm looking for. Uh, is is it doesn't have to be that good, by the way. I, I don't think it's possible that it could be that good. Um, so, are you suggesting? So, Kyle asked, are you suggesting that this death is a metaphor that relates to his over the overall theme? Yes. Thank you, Kyle. That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, the the po- the the story itself, and it's is this interplay between how he. How he gives up this worldly society into transcend, you know, transcendentalism or whatever, and something higher. So, for instance, he calls what they're trying to accomplish the spiritualization of labor, and he has to, in other words, get rid of all this, as he puts it, uh, prejudices, habits, uh, a thousand f- uh, follies, fripperies, and so on and so forth. Such worldly dust. He calls it worldly dust. And you know, so he had to die to get that dust off of him, and now he's, you know, ready for um building his body up and, and or building his soul up at in this spiritualization of labor. Now, what makes the story interesting though is that he's not advocating that he's not necessarily in the, the story saying or implying that this kind of commune is a good thing, because there's a lot of the problems that they run into the biggest problem that he runs into is reality and you know they find out there is a kind of quaintness and goodness to it but my god there's a lot of work right it's like oh my god i have to shovel so he gets really strong but then they get bored and they're not really enjoying it it's like they want to do other things and so he has to escape eventually back into society for a little while and then other events happen so you know it's it's not that he's again advocating for this the point i was trying to make with that point is that comes on very, i don't know if you can see very early in the story but he's just trying to say you know i'm just trying to indicate something about the language and the use of language to indicate what he's trying to say about the character moving into this other portal of this realm it's not a pleasant one reality hit him immediately and that's also part of what he's trying to say in this story so there's there's a lot we could you know talk about it. it's i don't want to Go through the whole thing of this um, of this book, but I did want to give some ideas about what I'm looking for for Trubitter Magazine. Again, not at doesn't have to be at this level. So I'll I'll end with this. One of the hopes of this podcast, or this podcast and this uh, magazine, is to help to spur this on more, to help get more people interested in writing for this and to creating this and to, some, you know, working on their craft and to have that community um, so we could all be working on our craft and improving it. The first thing you have to have is a deep respect for craft, and that's what I hope to, to do with the you know in the magazine, if you go to TroubadourMag.com, I have selected certain stories. I'm going to be selecting some hot more uh, Poe stories that I'll be reading. I'm doing a series on Nathaniel Hawthorne and the birth of rom- uh, the birth of science fiction. So one thing I've noticed about a lot of these more romanticist uh, thi- uh, intellectuals in art and literature is that they are the inventors of pretty much every genre. You know, like like Poe did. He is one of the early influences on science fiction, and he is the creator of modern detective stories. And it's he's also a very romantic writer. He's a romanticist writer. So there's it's not a coincidence. And there's something about the imagination that is revered, but it's it's it should be bogged down by reason. And I think there is an attempt to do that, although we sometimes lose that in other areas in the, in the movement. So. That's what I'm trying to get at. I hope that you guys will join me on this. I hope that you writers out there will trust me at least to send me a, um, you know, just a doc X, go to troubadourmag.com to check it out. I will do my best. Uh, Please no novels, you know, try to keep it under 20, 25 pages, but I don't have rough guidelines at the moment. I'm sure I'll get them as I get crazy long things that I can't read all of it. So um, and if you're, you're interested in helping in any way, you know, with design, cause I'm doing a lot of this stuff with myself and one other, um, one other person's kind of helping out in the, um, uh, you know, basically with design and, and things of that nature. So let me know. Thank you so much. Thank you for those of you who submitted today. I've, I got five of you. I already started reading them. I'm, I'm going to get to you your feedback as soon as possible. So thank you very much. And Kyle, I hope to see some of your stuff, brother. Take care, man.